There I sat by the lake. The great lake Ontario takes no notice of my pain, but its small waves happily add my tears to its fold. My heart and mind jumping back and forth from wrath to sorrow. Shall I sit here and mourn? or rise up with tomahawk and bow to avenge my wife and daughters? These are the questions that went through my mind for what must have been weeks. As the sun rose one morning, my thoughts were clear. I would kill Tadadaho and avenge my family. I sharpened my knife and prepared to move. But before I could finish packing my things and take a deer's leap from the shore, I spotted something a long way out in the lake. It appeared to be moving straight towards me and seemed to shine like polished bone. After only a short time, a bright white canoe with a strange Huron man pulled up to my camp. I demanded for him to tell me who he was and what his business was on Mohawk land. He did not answer, but looked at me as if I were an old friend he had not seen for many years. He walked up to me, wrapped his arms around me with a tear in his eye. At that time, I did not understand what was happening, but all thoughts of wrath were disappearing from my soul, like the steam rising off the lake as we embraced. I know your pain, Hiawatha. I know of the loss of your family. I am here to tell you of the great law and the path for healing of all peoples. The fighting and the hate must stop. We must unite all peoples under the great law of peace. What is your name, I asked. He told me. But after seeing the things I saw, I think it only right to call him the peacemaker. He handed me a belt of wampum beads and said, You must travel with me, Hiawatha, for I have a great message to deliver. But I have no skill in speaking as you do. You will be my voice. I agreed. As we loaded my things into his canoe, I realized it was not wood, but stone. White, smooth stones. Who could this man be with such strange teachings and a stone canoe that can float? I knew not, but thought I was sure to find out, being his voice and all. We made for the Mohawk village. When we arrived, we were greeted warmly. Many of my friends and family were happy to see me so well after my time of mourning. The chiefs and clan mothers were summoned. When they were all seated, the peacemaker walked behind me and set his hands on my back. I don't know how, but his words began to flow from my mouth. I told them that peace, love, and righteousness were to be the new way. We must join together All people must become one family, with one mind, one body, and one heart. This is the message of the great law. Many clan mothers began to agree with this new teaching, but the war chiefs stood up and began to speak. These are good things you've said, but we cannot join you in this. How can we know your words are true? Tadadaho is stronger than any of us. If you speak falsely, he will come and destroy us all. The peacekeeper began to speak. The great law of peace is stronger than Tadadaho. This law is stronger than all the evil in the world. We will leave you, 
But when we return, there will be proof that all the people of this land can live as one family. The peacemaker and I traveled to the tribe of the Cayuga. But as we came closer, the sight became more and more unsettling. We learned that Tadadaho had attacked several villages and many of the Cayuga warriors had been killed. As we sat with the village elders, it was easy to see that they were still in mourning over the loss of their loved ones. But once again, the peacemaker put his hands on my back and spoke through me. I know you are saddened, but let your hearts be at peace. For soon we will all join together and spread the message of peace. The Cayuga chief announced that he would join us in our journey to the Seneca. With a newfound vigor, we climbed the great hill to see the Seneca tribe. When we reached the top, we found ourselves surrounded by many Seneca braves, many with spears and clubs. I must be honest, I thought this was the end for us. But they did not harm us, but ushered us into the great longhouse to speak with their chief. The wind blows whispers of your teaching from the direction of the Kyuga peacemaker. The people of the great hill are eager to hear of your teaching. We will all perish if we do not change our ways, I said. It is time to make peace and begin a new day of friendship with all people. Then the peacemaker walked over to the Seneca chief and pulled an arrow from his quiver. He walked to the middle of the group and snapped the arrow over his head. Then he walked around and grabbed an arrow from the Cayuga chief and one from each of the Seneca braves that were there with us. Alone we are weak and we break with the smallest bend. But together we are strong and cannot be broken. The next day we departed for the Oneida as two united tribes. The Cayuga and the Seneca chiefs now traveled with us. Before we were halfway to the Oneida village, we found ourselves caught in a great net that was dropped down from tall trees. And there stood before us the Oneida chief with many warriors. What? Is a Huron, a Mohawk, Cugas, and Senecas doing so close to our village? Could you be so foolish to attack us with so few men? The peacemaker told them, We have united under a new law of peace. Our goal is to unite all tribes as one family. But the chief thought this was folly. How can there be peace this way? My family was killed not long ago by Mohawk raiders. Surely the only way to find peace is if I bury my tomahawk into an enemy's skull. The peacekeeper looked at me. Tell him your story, Hiawatha. I told the chief my family had been murdered as well, and how for a long time I longed for revenge. But after accepting the great law of peace, my wrath melted away and my heart began to heal. Yours, too, can heal, I told the chief. The chief stood there a long time, then pulled out his knife and cut the net away from us. The Oneida chief said, as gentle tears swelled, I will join you in this. We had now united three tribes under the great law of peace. It was now time to journey back to the Mohawk and show them that unity could be achieved with all tribes. When we arrived, we presented the three chiefs to the Mohawk matrons. They were pleased to see them and began to embrace them as their own sons. 
But once again, the Mohawk chief stood up. Tadadaho and the Onondaga have not been idle while you've been traveling. You have brought peace to three tribes. It's good. But what good will peace with the Cuga and Seneca be if we are separated by Tadadaho and the Onondaga? You will have your peace, and we will be destroyed. You do not understand the power of Tadadaho. Not only does he have his warriors, but he also practices dark magic. It is said that he eats men's flesh and that he has demons inside him. His very hairs are venomous snakes. We can have no part of peace with these people. If we are to join you, it will be to do one thing, to destroy Tadadaho and every living Anadaga. At this, every man was on his feet. The longhouse erupted into arguments and fights began to break out. The peacemaker walked to the center of the longhouse and with a loud voice, Enough! The great law of peace is for all people, not just those we deem worthy to have it. Peacemaker, the Mohawk chief said, You have proven that some of the tribes can be united, but you have not proven that your powers are stronger than Tadadaho's. If you want the Mohawk tribe to join you, You must prove that your words are blessed from the great spirit. And how shall he prove that, I said. Climb to the top of a great pine, over a high waterfall. When you are at the top, we will cut the tree. If you survive from the fall of the highest tree from the tallest cliff, then we will know that you are blessed by the great spirit, and that your powers are greater than Tadadaho. This is madness, I said. You ask things too great for any man. But the peacemaker put up his hand. I will do this thing you have said. I walked with the peacemaker to the top of the cliff, trying to change his mind on what he was about to do. He looked at me. Have faith, Hiawatha. The tree was cut, and the peacemaker fell for a long time, until he disappeared into the mists of the waterfall. We watched and waited, but we did not hear or see any signs of the peacemaker. I made the walk back down the cliff with the four Indian chiefs. We were so close, I thought. Was this all for nothing? We looked ahead, and there he was. The peacemaker standing on the shoreline with no scratch of injury upon him. The chiefs began to scream and whoop with excitement. Even the Mohawk chief had a smile. We returned to the great longhouse and had a great celebration. We now had united four tribes under the great law of peace. We made for the Anandaga. When we arrived, the village was closed to us. The Onondaga people said, Taradaho does not live in the village. He lives deep in the woods. We said that we must speak to him, for we have a great message to deliver. A young Onondaga warrior agreed to guide us to Taradaho's hut. As we came closer, we saw a haunting sight. The trees became more twisted and dead, and no birds or animals could be heard. 
Not long ago, the sun had been bright in the sky, but now it had grown dark as night. And there, in the doorway of the hut, stood a monstrous sight. Tadadaho was hunched like a broken tree. His skin was cracked and bloody. His eyes burned like fire, and his hair truly was a tangle of venomous snakes. Darkness and vengeance began to creep back into my heart. Before I could control myself, I was ten leaps ahead of the other chiefs. My spear was in my hand. I would kill him. I would make him feel the pain my family felt. Tadadaho was charging me now like a monster. His mouth was open. He snarled and hissed. His teeth were like the fangs of a wolf. This was it, I thought. I would kill or be killed. And then... A sound began to fill my ears. I looked up, and the sun was growing light again. Taradaho was directly in front of me, still as a stone. I looked around to see where the noise was coming from, and then I saw the peacemaker. He was singing. At first, I could only hear the notes. It was so beautiful. I continued to listen. The comfort of the peacemaker returned to me, and I remembered that vengeance no longer has any hold over me. He was singing the great law of peace, and the words flowed through all of us. Taradaho stood there weeping. The song was driving away all the evil spirits from him. Hiawatha, the peacemaker said, we must heal him. As the peacemaker sang, the other chiefs and I bathed Taradaho. We treated his wounds with oil and warm water. I combed the snakes from his hair, and the Seneca clan mother made a medicine from crushed roots. Once the song was over, we looked down and saw Taradaho. He was no longer a monster, but a handsome, strong man. The peacemaker spoke. You all must return to your tribes. Bring back all the chiefs of your nations. We will light a great council fire in three days. While the chiefs separated, each to his own village, to spread the good news and prepare for the council, the peacemaker and I stayed and ministered to Tadadaho. Three days passed, and all the chiefs had arrived. Taradaho himself lighted the fire, and we sat around each other, amazed at the changes we had all seen and experienced. The peacemaker said that we were to all work together and dig up a great white pine not far from the council fire. We did this. He told us to each bury our tomahawks and weapons of war under the tree. We did this and then replanted the tree. The peacemaker spoke. The white tree of peace will be a memorial of the treaty you have all agreed upon. The five nations now stand as one family. A tree has no eyes, so a great eagle needs to be perched atop it, to keep watch on evil and to remind you of the commitment you have to one another. 
You, Tadadaho, will be this eagle. Tadadaho looked up at the moon and the stars, and at that moment the last piece of evil fell away from him, and he ascended into the sky as a great bald eagle. He landed at the top of the tree and gave out a mighty scream. Hi everybody, this is Caleb and Andrew. I hope you all enjoyed that version of The Peacemaker. This was a version Andrew and I put together. We listened to about five different tellings of the story, so this was kind of a hybrid of a mixture of all different tellings from it. And this story is the story of the founding of the Iroquois Nation. Yep, this is how they told it. How they all came together, their or, not their origin story of where they came from, but how their confederation, their great league of peace came together, together as one. So what Andrew and I, our goal is, we are going to be digging very deep into a lot of the writings and the history of the Iroquois people, and we are going to be bringing you uh, most likely a bi-weekly podcast. Yep. And it's going to be different. We're definitely going to tell the history in a, in a linear fashion going forward, all the way from the formation of the Confederacy up till modern time. But we're also going to mix in a lot of biographies because there were a lot of Iroquois people that did great things not only for their nation, but also for the American nation and even Canada. And we're going to throw in some different stories and legends also because there's some really good ones in there, and they're worth a listen to. So why don't we go ahead and introduce ourselves, Caleb? Okay. Well, my name's Caleb Cotter. And I'm Andrew Cotter. And we are brothers. Correct. From the same mother and father. <laughs> it's a rarity these days. Anyway, uh, uh, we both live in Canandaigua, New York, which is... Uh, it was one of the chief cities of the Seneca Iroquois back in the day. Yes, the name of the city actually means, basically in uh, Iroquois translation, the place where we live. It's a great name for a city. Uh, but we've always had a, a great uh, love of Iroquois history and their legends. So we've been kicking around this idea for about a year and a half now. We've been reading about every book we could find, and we're finally ready, I think, to... Yeah, to pretend to be experts. We're definitely not historians, <laughs> but like Caleb said, we really have a passion about this, and there's a lot of good books out there, but the thing is, there's really not that we can find a good, solid, from, you know, the start of the Confederation all the way up until modern times, there's just no history out there. There's a lot of specific books on specific aspects, but we didn't see anything that tied it all together. And a lot of the history we, we read is very one-sided. Yes. Um, so we are going to really try and, and give you both sides so that we can really learn, you know, what these people, what they were really like. And we're going to, like Andrew said, we're going to dive into not just you know, them as a whole people, but also individuals. Because like all societies, you know, we can't just say that certain people, okay, they did this. You know, there were good people and there were evil people. And there were, you know... People just trying to survive and get food enough to feed their families for the winter. Sure. Just like today. Yep. So we're going to really try and dive into this. And we hope that you guys will join us on our journey. Uh, I'd invite you all to go to our Facebook page... What's yep. that at, Andrew? Well, you can just search in the Facebook bar, 
and you can type in Iroquois History and Legend, and it should come up. Uh, we'll also have a website up and running shortly, and when that comes out, we'll be sure to give you that as well. You can also email us at longhousepodcast at gmail.com, and we will try to respond to you in an orderly fashion. Uh, Caleb, also coming up next week, we're going to talk about the Iroquois councils and government and how, you know, this was the origin story, but that's all great and all, but how did these councils work together and how did they not fall into killing each other? Yeah, this should be a lot of fun, and honestly, this was something that was really confusing for me when I started uh, reading about their government because they, they had a multi-branch government, similar to kind of what we have in America, but they had what was called the matrons, which were like the, the tribe mothers, which had a say, and they had the chiefs, which had a say. And there were checks and balances that people could be impeached and removed from office, but I don't want to give too much away because we're going to get into it. And it's complicated, but it's amazingly complex, and that's good because it shows that these people were not some backwoods savage people, but they actually were very advanced in their culture and ways of thinking. And they had peace last for 600 years, so, uh, you know, they must have been doing something right. Yep. So tune in next time, and until then, goodbye. <laughs>